Welcome to Stuck at Home with Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman. Huzzah! Welcome to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman, and uh, this guy. Me, all furbeard. <laughs> this thing's getting crazy. Um, why, why won't you use the Madison Reed, man? I do. I want to. You know, there's something right now that just it it it, it just makes me feel like a like a mountain man. Like I just feel really. Mm, I don't know what it is. There's something. Yeah, something. Even though it's gray, it feels very virile. Absolutely. Want to grab an axe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. I'm not mad at it. But um, the, play something, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I want to play this thing real quick. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to start this out as um, I got to really get into uh, Lovecraft Country, which is part of what we're talking about today, and I'm really excited. And one of the biggest parts of this to me has been learning about people and things that I didn't know about. Like, I'm a very ignorant, not an ignorant person. I think of myself as fairly well-read and all that stuff. But this, you know, this, sh- this, this show and these conversations have brought up things that I didn't even realize. Um, well, that I didn't you're know about to play this, yeah. this Jeff Buckley, which I didn't even know was Jeff Buckley. And I, I don't or, or James myself. Baldwin. It's James Baldwin. See, I say Jeff Buckley. This is what I'm saying. I don't consider myself well-read. I, I am well-read. And I had no idea about any of this stuff, all this Jim Crow stuff that it's bringing up. And this speech in particular, which now I'm educated on, is absolutely just, just all right, let's play. Where, where it comes into. I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, let's do this. Go for it. Um... I find myself, not for the first time, in um, the position of a kind of Jeremiah. For example, I don't disagree with Mr. Burford that the, um, the inequality suffered by the American Negro population of the United States has hindered the American dream. Indeed it has. I quarrel with some other things he has to say. The other deeper element of a certain awkwardness I feel has to do with um, it has to do with one's point of view, I have to put it that way one's, uh, one's sense of one's system of reality it would seem to me the proposition before the house, when I put it that way is the American dream at the expense of the American Negro, all the American dream is at the expense of the American Negro is a question hideously loaded, and that one's response to that question, or one's reaction to that question, has to depend on effect, an effect on where you find yourself in the world, what your sense of reality is, what your system of reality is. That is, it depends on assumptions which we hold so deeply as to be scarcely aware of them. A white South African, or a Mississippi sharecropper, or a Mississippi sheriff, or a Frenchman driven out of Algeria, all have, at bottom, a system of reality which compels them to, for example, in the case of the French exile from Algeria, to defend French reasons for having ruled Algeria. The Mississippi or the Alabama sheriff, who really does believe when he's facing a Negro boy or girl, that this woman, this man, this child, must be insane to attack the system to which he owes his entire identity. Of course, for such a person, the proposition of which which we're trying to discuss here tonight does not exist. Now, mind you, this is played during an incredibly deftly cut montage, but let's let's just bring on our guest, because I don't even want to... Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this just is a... This is an entryway into a show and a conversation that is so profound, especially considering what I assumed the subject matter was going to be, that uh, it just it gives me chills. Um, and as and I want to, yeah, let's just get start talking about it with that. Uh, all right, so let's bring our guest on, Dave Schilling. He's a writer for Vice and The Guardian, and he's going to come on, and we're going to talk all about the first two episodes of Lovecraft and what's to come, and all of it, and, and what the show means. So ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, let's just... Have no! 
I got cheers. Of course. Robot cheers. That's that's what we do. Like um, we're gonna start piping in. You know, for and um, Major League Baseball games, they pipe in uh, the show, right? The PlayStation game, the show to make it sound good. That's what we're gonna oh, do here. We're just gonna, yeah. That's what they do. Let's do that with stand-up specials. Just exactly. Stand-up comic on a stage and just have fake laughs. Yeah, we're just gonna pipe in old old um old laughs from uh, Care Top episodes. Uh, <laughs> that's all we got left. Dude. That's all we got left. Man. I love it. Uh, okay, so let me just jump into this conversation right away because uh, this show is not at all what I, okay I knew nothing about it going into it other than I know who HP Lovecraft is but other than that I have no idea what this show is and I go into it and we have an hour and a half pilot it is a feature length pilot which I guess you know Jordan Peele right so he can do whatever he wants and HBO Max what an incredible job but okay let's start this was not what I was expecting so Dave why don't we just go from here why is this show completely not at all what it seems on the surface and and where does the gravitas come from in the developing of the book and the show well i mean i think you know the whole idea of the book and, and the show too is is to take the real sort of racism of jim crow south uh and that culture and the racism that is sort of underlining and underneath the works of hp lovecraft and extrapolate them into a story. You're putting these characters into a situation where those stories are are, are part of the universe, but then they kind of come true, and, and the the trappings of it become kind of the 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 narrative driving force of the show. So I think I think that's why it's unexpected is because you think it's called Lovecraft Country. It is right. going to be about you know black characters and and, and reading these these stories. But then you find out that they're in this in a basically an H.P. Lovecraft story, and I think that's what's compelling about it is because it works on the level of fiction, but it also works on the level of metafiction, and that it is a commentary on our on obsession with science fiction, our obsession yes. with horror, our obsession with the genre and entertainment, and you know these characters are using this these stories to escape. It's really an escape from a true horror, a real horror, which is the horror of Jim Crow. Okay, so that that right there. So that's where I feel like the book started. You know, to me it was, you know, the, the author of the book, I figured his name, is it Matt or, or, oh, Jason will come up with it in a second. It's Matt Ruff. Uh, it was Matt, okay, I was right. Matt so Ruff. Matt Ruff, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. the author of this book, where he starts with this is exactly what you just said. It's this moment of, I can escape from this horror, this real life horror of Jim Crow. But here's the thing, okay? I'm going to say a couple of things here, not one thing. First thing, when it's, the show starts, I, I feel like they did it on purpose, almost subversively. They make it so overt, and you're like, this is cheesy. What am I doing? I don't want to watch an entire number. I don't want to see them sing. Oh, that's what this is going to be? It's going to be, oh, here's the black people in the, in the place where they play music, and it's, oh, we're playing blues. And then you realize they're, they're fooling you. The whole time they're lulling you into this false sense of security because then comes that speech and that montage. Can we just talk about that for a moment? Or did I lose? Yeah, it? I mean, I think I, I, no, oh. I'm here. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. I mean, I think um, that 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 celebratory moment where they're in Chicago and they have there's the the dancing and and, and the singing and the kind of street festival. I think yes. as much as that might be a misdirect, that moment is also a moment for you to see black joy and black um, mm. creativity. And those are the things that are lost when you live in a world where black people are considered second-class citizens or that they are, they are tools for um, white uplift basically. And that's what the second episode right. gets into is this idea that these, this kind of cult that exists in, in Ardham, Massachusetts, right is using black people is using tick and his his you know his uh lineage as the product of a slave sexual assault to open up this portal like that is a science fiction version of what people have been doing to black creatives black writers artists musicians athletes since the beginning of this country. You know, this country was built on exploitation of African-American people. This country was mm -hmm. built on the idea of the black man and the black woman as tools as opposed to human beings. So 
being able to see that moment of you know, joy and 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 family and community is powerful because you're going to see that all ripped apart, like you said later on. And and well, and yeah, the James Baldwin stuff. The James Baldwin stuff is showing you that there is like this deep intellectual history of black people in this country yes. pointing at it and saying that it exists and we didn't listen and we and we haven't been listening and we've never really truly listened to people like James Baldwin. That clip is from a debate between James Baldwin and William F. Buckley. And William F. Buckley is the classic Ivy League educated upper class white person, conservative who scoffs at the the very notion of inequality or the very notion that America is a racist country. And James Baldwin has to articulate in his own poetic way that, in fact, this is a racist country, that the American dream does not exist for Black people, that the American dream is set up in such a way as to exclude, is to is to prevent you, well, or I mean, me specifically, from achieving those those aims and those goals of the house and the car and that stuff. It is not for us. It was never designed for us. It was designed for other people. Well, yes, but also, and not, you know, I should say not, but yes. And also it is a, I'd say it's a, it's, it's a mechanism, you know, that, that has been used over and over again. I mean, Kurt Cobain said in his journals, you know, long as his death, that we have stolen every piece of new music since classical from the black people. I mean, mm-hmm. from blues, jazz, rock. I mean, it goes on and on. Disco. And this is something, I mean, you could just name a genre pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like pick a genre and we'll go forward. But but really what what I'm seeing here is that they're laying it in in such a smart way that is story-based. It's like Jason and I talk all the time about like our favorite comic book movies. And why I bring this up, it's a similar genre, you know, supernatural, fantasy and what they've done so smartly here, and it's what I love about, let's say, Iron Man. They spend 50 minutes getting into the suit, or almost like 58 minutes, I think, or 53. It's somewhere in there before Downey even steps in the suit. And what Jordan does here, and let's not ignore the elephant in the room. And, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, Dave. But do you not see the similarity to Get Out? I mean, in the basic structure? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of similarities, and I think that's why his production company saw um, appeal and interest in this book is because it it deals with these same kind of issues in a supernatural, maybe not a supernatural, but in a genre package. You know, that yes. is oftentimes how stories um, are created, is taking a real-world issue and dramatizing it in the most fantastic way possible. Star Trek is a perfect example of this. Star Trek was designed as Gene Roddenberry's delivery system for ideas about prejudice about um you know fighting against injustice about uh, socialism about you know all equality manner of and love for equality. all yes star yes. trek was designed we talk to, about this all the time dave yeah. all the time and, and that's why we i love star trek and why i love gene roddenberry is because he saw the value in using science fiction uh allegorically and to and to illustrate yes. the, the problems with society in a way that people this, will tolerate. Because a lot of times you don't want to have that finger wagged at you. You don't want to have the didactic sort of teacher telling you this is how things are and this is how they should be. You'd rather have space suits and superheroes and all the good stuff that we love to kind of make that go down a little bit easier. Well, here's the thing. They give it all to us right in the opening. It's a basic Lovecraft, you know, might as well be graphic novelized, you know, like in, in the animation they use for this opening. So across the board, but I was talking to Jason about this and I just think it's interesting. I want to bring it up. One of the things I noticed when I first started watching it, again, I think you heard it in what I was saying earlier. I was like, oh no, this is going to be cliche. Screw this. Da, da, da. What I realized is that was my systematic racism and it was getting broken down and broken down and broken down until... The, the speech. And at the speech, I was like, oh, this is not at all. This is not at all. This is a very important show. But I think they knew what they were doing very specifically in the plotting out of that opening. Thoughts? Yeah, it, yeah it, has to, it has to be that way. It has to give you, mm-hmm. and that's what I love about that opening kind of like his vision, his like daydream, is yeah. it packs in so much iconography of that time, the science fiction of that time, and also the culture of that time he would be daydreaming about Jackie Robinson and he'd be thinking about 
you know, radio calls from Jackie Robinson's games and like people talking about how important that was because I have to cut was, you off. They tie it in later to the dad when he was going to, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the league where he's holding up the signs at the, yeah. at the uh, players leagues and he, his dad made him stop doing it. And that loops into the dream. It's so smart. Right. That's on. all the stuff Go that's on. going on in his head. And, and it makes sense from a, from a, cultural standpoint you know that's what people uh, black people would be thinking about at that time and also it immediately orients you into what this show is going to be jackie robinson is a titanic figure a massive figure in um american culture and especially in in black american history uh so as soon as i saw that they were going to be talking about that and alluding to that i was like okay i feel like i'm in good hands and the, the person who is you know really the creative vision behind this show clearly knows what she's talking about and and i, I want to make sure that we we shout her out because Tanisha? You know, no uh, the the name of uh, misha green misha green yeah, is misha the, green. yeah the show the showrunner and and the basically the, the the creator of this version of this story and you know jordan peele and jj powerhouse talent yeah absolutely she's and, a powerhouse and, talent and incredible I have to interrupt for this because yeah. what people don't know a lot of people don't know is that the creator developer they are the voice of the show you can yep. say jordan you can say all these other jj but the fact is she's the one putting the last two three years of her life into rewriting and writing in these characters it is amazing what she's done absolutely amazing. absolutely and, and it's not easy to adapt something it's it's really not easy to adapt something that's this literary and and with with this many kind of tonal shifts because even within the first episode i feel like we're going from you know kind yes. of um historical drama to uh, horror to science fiction to noir mystery because the mystery of, of where tick's father is where's atticus's father that is a mystery element which reminded me a lot of twin peaks and yeah. you know you set up the first episode it's like someone's missing or like in twin peaks someone has died and that is the thing that kind of leads you through the show. And then, of course, you know, hopefully everybody who's listening to this or watching this has seen the episode two. Yeah. But in episode two, you you find you find Atticus's father in episode two. So it's like we, wait, we wait, what wait, you wait. thought when was the story from the wire. Yes, Michael K. Williams. Out, yes, Shawshanks' yeah. way out of the dirt with the handcuffs. I almost cheered. I got it. Yeah, you. it was an awesome moment <laughs> and, and 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 really well staged. Uh, I believe mm -hmm. Daniel Sackheim was the director of this episode. Let me just check. I, I well I have done. Pu I pulled up all of this. Yep, Daniel Sackheim is the director of this episode, and he did a great job staging that. And it was it's a really remarkable looking show. And, and that that montage of all of their like their fantasies at the beginning of episode two um and right. the, to the jeffersons theme song by the oh, way which is I such a funny about thing that. that was genius right? a lot of the yeah a lot of the use of music is fascinating to me because you're using uh contemporary anachronistic music music that doesn't yes. belong to the time in which the show uh is set and that's what i really can, like that can come off as kind of cheesy sometimes but in this in the case of this show it, it's very effective because it makes you feel something and it brings the energy up of the show and it's it's just very evocative and every music cue has been just spot on so far oh i i could not agree more what was there was a rock cue they used as well didn't there's they? a marilyn manson song in episode yes, two. killing strangers yeah. and then they use leon bridges right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah there's, I mean, there's they, just been a fantastic. lot yeah there's a hip-hop song in yeah, episode one. I forget which song it was, but there's just been a lot, yeah. Well, you know what else I like that they do? Like, they'll glaze over the fact that it's 1928, right, or nine, and, and Tick reads. Tick hmm. reads fluently and has been reading such a... That is not a commonplace thing. It's and, 1950s, the yeah. 1950s. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, oh, yeah. It's a little more commonplace. 1928 yeah, would have been a lot less. Yeah, because those yeah. cars, the, the only reason I was, I was just jumping in is like, there's no, the Thank way that those are Model T's. And okay, Jackie good, Robinson so was in the was a he he came into the majors in the forties. So, yeah, well, and also okay. and also important to note, Atticus is a Korean War veteran. Yeah, so, so we're getting into that story. So we saw the okay. So let's. I'm going to ask some questions, okay? Because mm -hmm. uh, I feel like you do have all the answers. I don't know why, Dave. You just have a, <laughs> you have an aura of confidence. I look you. smart. Yeah, you really do. You sounded too, and you keep having the right <laughs> answers. Thank okay, you. so <laughs> these things combined equals I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Great. First thing I'm going to ask you: when before the ritual, right? So we mm -hmm. we come to realize that there's something about his lineage. We kind of see it in one. We get into it in two, and it's coming out further and further. He's a son of a son. Okay, before he willingly volunteers to take place you know take part in the ceremony there is the other ceremony where they're each watching in the rooms their individual rooms like who'd they show you who'd they show you now 
that's happening to them, right? So this is magic that they're putting on them. What is the purpose of this sequence here? I mean, to me, I -hmm. read this as they are, it's psychological warfare of a sort. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. they want, they're trying to break them down and make them compliant. The, remember, we start the episode with, um, with George and Letty under the spell, right? And they don't remember seeing the monsters. So they re- they're trying to keep them out of this whole thing and keep, they, they just have to be there uh, so that they can then, you know, perform the, the ritual on Atticus later. So they're kind of like, right. they're there, but they don't want them there. So the spell and, and all that stuff, I think it's distraction and psychological warfare in a way to keep them kind of, kind of out of it. it that, that scene in particular reminded me of a, to go back to Star Trek, because this show does remind yeah. me in some ways of Star Trek um, in the kind of ambling journey sort of way that the, that the narrative is playing out. Uh, the Cage, the first Star Trek pilot where Captain Pike is kidnapped by the, I think the Telosians is the name of the, the aliens. And they are <laughs> observing him in this fantasy of his perfect world, which is with this girl on on planet, on Earth having a picnic and... I think part of it is that the, this allows them to experience pleasure and joy through these people. And mm-hmm. again, it's like watching the observing of their happiness is the same concept as white people kind of consuming black joy and black creativity without giving anything back. So if you, you know, you love Jay-Z or you love... Oh, that's great. That's great. You love um, I, I Michael Jackson. I saw that clear when you said it. That's fantastic. Then, then you're like, there are a lot of white supremacists who probably love rap, who probably love Ice Cube, but they don't understand that there is a human being behind that, that there is a struggle, there is pain, there is... Um, real anger and anguish behind the music of NWA or behind Tupac or behind Notorious B.I.G. This is suffering that people are going through. And this art is from that suffering. So the detachment from it, the voyeurism of it is akin to how we take, or not we, but white people take advantage of uh, appropriate. I'll say we, yeah, I'll say we. Yes, you could say we. Well, I am am biracial, so I am white enough to understand. I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because don't you think it's a very conscious choice to make the lead female, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, light skin? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think she has certain privilege. We haven't quite seen that yet. We haven't seen Mm -hmm. the, the, the articulation of that privilege yet. But that is a privilege. I, I have to, like, through this whole year, I've had to, to interrogate my own privilege as someone who is multiracial and has been able to, you know, exist in white worlds more freely than some other other black people in America. And I think that she, yeah, it's just yeah, the no, truth, you know? Well, it's, know this is this, still deep. <laughs> thank you. I think this yeah. whole time, people need to be interrogating themselves, everybody. Not just you, not just other white people, not just me who is half white, but also everybody else, every black person, every Asian person, every LGBT person. We all need to be thinking about how we can be better people. And I hope that the show does does uh, pick up on the fact that, um, you know, Journey Smollett is light skinned and maybe could uh, not pass, but certainly could, you know, move through white worlds more freely, certainly more than Atticus or George or anybody else, you know, that we've seen in terms of primary characters. Um, and also, you know, we have to talk about the fact that, that Atticus does have, you know, Caucasian white, white ancestry. And that yes, is, that is a, back. a very back, but at the same right. time, it brings up the, the very real fact of sexual assault within, you know, slave, slave communities. And what that means, and and what you know, racial uh, intermingling meant when it was by force. Well, this is where you see the perfect combination. We again, we talk about this a lot, Jason and I. We don't do politics, but we think art is politics, and Absolutely. where you can use art, and this is the prime, the penultimate definition and and an example of of this being done where art is being used and weaponized in the best of ways and and it's a little subversive and it's it already made me question stuff you know what i mean like i'm already going like oh i see why i didn't like the beginning okay right right. like let me look at that Mm because now i get it but okay so now we're seeing all these things and they're laying out these stories and a lot of surprises already by the first two episodes would you agree with that absolutely oh yeah 
right? And yeah. now, here, okay, so we had the journey. They, they're with the dad now. They, uh, spoiler, we don't do spoilers here, so sorry, Dave. We, you know, he's lost his uncle who may or may not be his dad. Right. Right? And now, oh, let's talk about Atticus as an actor for a second. And this guy, I've never seen him before. What, is he, what has he been in? Can you tell uh, me? Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, okay. What else has he been? Jonathan Majors is his name. Uh, he, majors. Yes, he has also been in White Boy Rick, which was the Matthew McConaughey movie about the um, white drug dealer. Uh, he was in Defy Bloods, the Spike Lee film. Yep. And some things that I haven't so seen. He's American, but those right? are the big he's ones. He's not British. He is from Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Okay, I love it. This guy is one of the. I mean, I feel, and again, it's not a black thing. I feel like I'm watching a young Denzel in Glory. I saw that in the theater, and there were th- elements of this where I saw the same young star that was just waiting to be, you know, used in the next 20, 30 years of his yeah. life. You know, like I, I think this is one of the best and biggest stars I've seen in a long time, and the guy can act. I mean, am I saying anything incorrect here? No, no. I think he has a lot of gravitas. He brings a lot of believability to a role that could be thankless because in this in this situation so far in the first two episodes he's very inactive as a protagonist he is a character that is reacting to things things are happening around him but he's not moving the story it is interesting when you look at the at the the credits at the end of the episode the first build person the first the top build actor on the show is journey smollett it's not Jonathan Majors, which is interesting mm. because the show is set up to be a mystery about him and his parentage and his lineage. But he is not considered the lead in the traditional sense we think of in Hollywood, where the lead actor goes first and then everybody else right. comes se- second, Number third, fourth. The call sheet. Right, exactly. exactly. And then you fall down in, in order. Yeah. yeah exactly. So what does that what but- does that mean? Well, I was just going to ask you that because I think to me it means that we may be seeing some interesting stuff in the next few episodes that's going to take the lead and turn it on its ear. Right, yeah. Where is this show going? What is it about truly? Uh, I haven't read the book. My girlfriend started reading the book. hasn't finished it yet. So I don't know what where this so is far? going. She loved it. She thought it was great. Uh, I think she mm-hmm. likes the book better than the show, actually. Which is, There are differences. There are, some, there are differences uh, in, in terms of how much you've seen at this point and, and certain things that... George doesn't die in the book at that point, at least. At least, you know, right. he, has, he hasn't died. You don't see the, the monsters explicitly so much. Um, yeah, but that's, I, I already hear the executive notes on that. That's a, I need that's to see the, the monster. Like, so, no, show here's how it goes. No, here's how it goes. You're all sitting around. It's probably a Zoom call now, but they, yeah. you're all sitting around. You're like, so we love everything. So yeah. we're thinking, does maybe he die in the second episode? <laughs> Is that maybe, do we push it up? Do we think that? We might yeah, have too many characters that. at this point. We need a big moment for episode two. We need something to go off on. And then everyone goes, oh, my God, that's so smart. You should do that. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that myself? Right. But what Misha did here, I mean, again, is something that I feel is not something we're seeing every day. And yeah. now we're having these elongated storylines, too. So how, how, do we know how many episodes this is right now, Dave? You know, how many in total we got? Uh, let's see. It appears that we are going to have... A total of 10 episodes, which is, I think, a, a good number. And this does seem like, in a way, like I said, this is this feels like Star Trek to me in the, it's the sense that we are traveling places. If based on the yes. next week on teaser, we're going back to Chicago, which I thought, okay, we're going to be in this house for a long time. <laughs> we're going to be in this town, this village for a long time. We're going to get to know these characters. And then by the end of the episode, <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, where is this show going? Because you killed them I'm all. Off. So there's something more to the show than just yes. what I assume the premise was going to be. And I think you had your own ideas about what this premise was going to be, and oh, that's not happening. Different. That is not, not exactly what it's we're. It's so getting. much better though. It's so yeah, much better though. Absolutely. I have to say, and and to me, it's it's very much an auteur piece. Like I, I see the elements of Jordan Peele, but what I do see is is Misha just stepping out front and shining. Yeah, as, yeah. You know, m- making something that's that's truly not only interesting, thought provoking, and, and and important, and and just fun. Yeah, it's wonderful when someone can be successful and they and they can look at other other creatives, other talented people, and say, "This is something that I would do myself, but I want someone else to do it." Like, yes, this there's a lot of similar themes and and yes. aesthetics to get out or to us. 
yes. Jordan Peele easily could have said, I'm going to be the showrunner. I'm going to direct every episode. This is going to be my thing. But instead, yeah. like this is what Spielberg did for years. Steven Spielberg uh, made the careers of Chris Columbus. He made the career of Robert Zemeckis. Um, you know, he he made Poltergeist with Toby Hooper. He did all these things that advanced the careers of people who were who had similar ideas to him and similar interests and similar aesthetics, but were very different in a lot of other ways. And yes. and you know, you can thank Spielberg for <laughs> Gremlins. You can thank Spielberg for Back to the Future. You can thank Spielberg for so many things. And I, I hope that Jordan Peele gets to be that for a lot of the, the black creatives in Hollywood who have been waiting for someone to come along to say, it's your yeah, time. You deserve that. to do this. You should do this. You should do that. And and at least we're seeing it with Lovecraft. We saw it with, you know, the, the Hunters. I mean, again, it wasn't a success. I don't think it was going to be nearly, I don't even think it was renewed. This is something I don't think HBO Max lets go. This feels like a, a nice franchise. Right. And, and what's great about it is because it's, it's genre, it has the chance to be something like a Game of Thrones and, and have a mythology and have, you know, toys and video games and all kinds of stuff that maybe seems strange when you think about it being a story about Jim Crow. But, you know, I mean, Game of Thrones was a weird uh, big swing idea, too. Art is a weapon, man. I, I could yep. not endorse this more. I, I love this show. Jace, you're back. I, Lovely. Yeah, we've got to wrap it up pretty quick, but um, I got two ah. things for you. Um, first, I just, I, and I know we've kind of glossed over this, but how great is it for a show to appropriate these iconic kind of villains in this horror part from this racist motherfucker, right? This guy, H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft, was one racist motherfucker, and for once, for once, people are taking the good stuff from him and saying, fuck you to the rest of it, the way that other people have done that to, you know, black people for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah, that I, to I'm me glad. is an incredibly brave and challenging thing because anybody else goes, well, what, you know, because we, you know, especially in a lot of, you know, liberal circles, like, well, we can't read Lovecraft anymore. We don't want to talk about him because we've really realized just how fucking gross that guy was in his, his morality. He got taken back. You're right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice to fuck see you, like, oh, we, well, I'll take Cthulhu and fuck your racism. We're going to yeah. make this shit about us. <laughs> we're a, we black people get to appropriate yeah. white culture for once. It's very nice. Yes. I love this. And what was the second thing? Yeah. Well, the, the second way, thing is point. The second thing is um, I just want to shout out HBO a little bit. Like, I don't normally go big corporation, HBO but Max. we got the Watchmen. You know, mm. we've got this. We've got there's that other one that's set in London. Um, what's that? I, one? May, uh, I may destroy uh, you. Yeah, I may destroy, I may destroy you. you. These guys are doing some shit like HBO's taking yeah. a step that, you know, they don't have to go. They, I mean, they don't have to do this. They doing this. And I, I really want to, you know, say thanks. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah amen. I agree. I really have to agree with that. They've they've really come uh, full circle from where you start with a, you know, first and 10 about a football team. That's all white. <laughs> not, not necessarily the news. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I'm old enough. Yeah. I remember that. Don't get, don't get me wrong. I love Gary Shandling, but it was yeah. all like. Dream on. Was fantastic. I was a big Dream <laughs> on kid when I was but, growing up. But wait, it's so funny you said that, Dave, because I was going to, I know you have to go, but I was going to bring that up when we're talking about this. This is the, in a lot of ways, a black Dream on. You know, you're taking, instead of TV, you're taking literature. And you're saying, this is how you influenced our culture. I'm going to take it from you now. And that's what Dream on did, except with TV and white people. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 we've seen these stories, uh, and Dream On specifically being a, a nostalgia piece about the '50s and about you know that white idea of what America was. We've been fed that for years. I've been fed that for years. <laughs> I grew up on Nick at Night. I grew up on Dick Van Dyke Show. I grew up on um, Get Smart. I grew up on uh, Father Knows Best and uh, Patty Duke Show and The Brady Bunch. All these things that had nothing to do with me or you my had a life. Lot of black heroes, huh? <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, I remember I used to really to like there. Bill Cosby. Uh, not anymore so much. But, I know, um, but you, at least you yeah. had him for a minute where you thought. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. that's, that's how bad it was. You know, it's been. Yeah, really, it's like you have to dig through the, the, you have to dig through the, the, yeah, the garbage the bin to find somebody. But now, yes. because of the way things have changed, and I, I am very much um, optimistic about life me too i have cautiously to be. optimistic cautious optimism the fact that we are talking <laughs> about this and that these shows exist and that you know my son can watch shows like this and see american history interpreted through the eyes of black people is big it's huge it's fantastic and uh, yeah i think we're in a weird place but we're on a path and a good path 
Yeah, I got to say, uh, something happened when I was watching the second episodes with my allergies and my eyes just hmm. started watering a little. But I think it was <laughs> Someone's cutting onions in the kitchen. It was just allergies or yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, this has been great. <laughs> Dave, we have to come back and, and Absolutely. finish discussing more of this as we get a few more episodes because we are enamored by this show. So thank awesome. you for being here. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, Jason, thank you. Good? No, yeah, I'm great. It's so nice to talk to you, Dave. Very Thanks, excited guys. to talk more. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. Dave Schilling. All right. And awesome. by the way, I... That is a nice, deep, informative conversation about art as politics. We don't have to talk about politics. We can talk about art and yep. still talk about politics. Absolutely. Just this as true today. Show, I mean, man. this stuff, was, it was great. And like, uh, I recommend that, there, that, that speech, that debate is online, the entire one, the William F. Buckley and uh, uh, all of a sudden I'm learning, Lawrence. Uh, but uh, that whole debate is out. You can watch the whole thing and it's incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, listen. Oh, James Baldwin. Sorry. I, I always lose names. James, James Baldwin, William F. Buckley. It's an hour long. Um, you know, we don't do spoilers here, so I can just tell you James Buckley wins that, uh, debate like 600 <laughs> to 112. Thank really? you. That's so yeah. weird. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, in the fifties, he won, he won and it was voted a bunch of white people voted that he won. So yeah, that's monumental. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, but, though, something white culture doesn't even really know. I never heard of it in my I life. I never heard of it either. Night. I didn't really know about it either. And, you know, Dylan brought up something. Um, oh, yeah. Read that. I saw that. That, that said, uh, you know, and I, I believe this is like modern dialogue on race relations in this country isn't anywhere as near intellectual as that Baldwin Buckley clip. This is, you know, and this is something, you know, I think to a point there's some different things that have to talk. And at a certain point, you're like, fuck, I'm not talking no more. But uh, at the same time, this is the kind of discussions that they're having at, at higher levels than we're ever having right now. In, 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 and think in about the, the racial tensions there, you yep. know, in that time. And they were able to get in a room and have a bunch of white people, stuffy-ass racist white people, still vote for the black dude. You're like, you know what? Guy had the best points. Yep. Like, you know what I can't about. argue. He talks yep. about a certain reality that they live with, and there's no way to even have this conversation with people who live in a reality where they look at a young black child and they say, there's no way uh, you're insane for mm -hmm. bucking against a system that basically, you know, you exist by. Yeah, so you're welcome. We, you're welcome for this. Them. And I don't know why you're complaining. Right. right. And so we have to remove them from the conversation and then you can actually have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing, and we didn't really bring this up. Am I crazy that the, the, yes. the, there were two different versions of Sinner Man uh, in each the, at the end for each episode? Nope, you're not. There were two different versions of Sinner Man. I don't know who did who did, was it, who were the artists. Now we have to um, I think the first one was the original. Um, so I'm pretty sure the first one was Nina Simone. Um, but the, I'm not exactly sure who the second one was. I'll have to look that one up. But I'm pretty sure, and I'm hoping that I hear it. You know, because there was a there was an episode of Umbrella Academy that had a different version of Sinner Man. Um, so I'm really hopeful that every episode has a different version of that song by a different artist, black artist. It's a beautiful song. It's not one that I was a, super aware of in, before a few years ago, but it's a beautiful song. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you're not watching the show, um, forget about the racial stuff. Forget about the point of views. This is just a fun show. Yeah, it's a it's, good, solid. It, it makes you give a shit. Go, yeah, go well, ahead. and that's well, and that's the truth. Like sci-fi, you know, you don't always have to watch the stuff that you're comfortable with and that you're used to, like where you can relate directly to it. You gotta sometimes you gotta watch a show that's by somebody else for somebody else that will teach you a little bit and also give you a different point of view. Like you don't see the same things in this sci-fi show. You see some of the tropes of a sci-fi show in there and and some fantasy and some horror, but you also see, you know, that that chase getting chased out of a diner. That's not something that happens in, you know, white sci-fi and where that you have was. these. You know, Ooh, it's incredible. That, that, it's that was crazy. You know, but you're gonna, you know, watch something new. It's gonna stretch you not just as a, you know, from an intellectual side, but from a creative side. People are gonna come up with some things that you're not gonna think are coming because you're not gonna be aware of it. You know, um, so stretch your soul, man. Stretch your, stretch soul. your soul. Yep. So, all right. So, Lovecraft. We cannot recommend this highly enough. We'll, we'll, you know, talk about it a, a bunch. We also just to make an aside. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it as the episodes come out. We like mm -hmm. this. Um, one thing we, we I think we're decided on, right, Jess, yep. is that next week is the end of Manson, right? Yep. So in looking for a new show, uh, I'm taking credit for this. I came yep. across you did uh, The Vow on HBO Max about the Nexium uh, debacle and Keith Rainier or Rainier. Um, and the guy, I did not know this, the guy who directed 
what the bleep do we know is one Mark Vicente is one of the main guys in this this documentary oh my lord so we've started it there's one episode on again HBO Max they're killing it Yep. No, it's it. I, we've been watching it today, and I remember watching What the Bleep We Know. Uh, Marley Matlin was in that, right? Right. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I've, I still watch that documentary. It's, it's genius. It got me into my first, you know, I, you know flirtation with quantum physics. Yeah, like, oh, yeah it's a very interesting it's a very interesting conversation it's a you know and that was all done before he started up with uh the nexium people it looks like but yeah please yes. ch- check this show out it's very interesting and it all and it, like everything it ends in a sex cult no spoilers like everything but- ends in a sex cult. allison mack <laughs> people are getting branded yeah allison <laughs> mack who by the way is much hotter in this documentary than i remember her being when i was watching her get arrested uh, you know well i wouldn't really watch it but i saw the pictures you know the mug shots people post so i was like uh, all right listen but it airs every week again yep. they're dropping it every week so we can do our thing here with our yep. stuck at home once we're done with manson next week yeah all right absolutely right, um moving on so i got some questions for you i was reading about this and i've known about this for a little while but it looks like it's heating up a little bit. Um, so there's a new show on Netflix. Um, it's called Enola Holmes. Okay, Enola Holmes is uh, the daughter or the sister, basically, of Sherlock Holmes. Right? Not not it. Um, and you know, Sherlock Holmes has been in the you know in the. Uh, and she's written about by Doyle in you know. Um, no, actually, I think Enola has never been written about. She's completely made up. Oh, wait, she has never been written about. By she's never been written about author? by anybody. Nope. She's completely oh, new. That's interesting. Okay. So she's a completely new character. All right. And, um, you know, basically uh, the copyrights and the trademarks on Sherlock Holmes, for the most part, have ended a long, long time ago. It's one of those things like public like domain. A public domain. So it's like, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales before Disney kind of bought them all up. And and, you know, Wizard of Oz, I think, is in the public domain now. And there's a few others. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that's in the public domain that you can make a movie out of or a, a TV show. Life. Yep, exactly. Um, but the Conan O'Doyle or Conan O'Doyle. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> Conan O'Doyle. Um, Conan O'Doyle. Conan O'Brien. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, uh, family is basically, our uh, estate is suing. I'm elastic. Conan O'Doyle is being sued. He's suing. <laughs> We're bad at We're those suing accents. You. Hey, I'm Arthur. Irish. I'm like 53% Irish or something. <laughs> Arthur you know, Conan O'Doyle's estate is suing <laughs> Netflix because um for, because for copyright infringement. Yeah. yeah, but it's like suing uh, you know. Okay, so here's what I think. First of all, all right. okay, so go ahead. Go on. Okay. So they're go suing on. him for copyright infringement because there's ten books that are still under copyright and their argument is uh sherlock holmes didn't show any emotion until those last 10 books and because this this version of sherlock is nice to this girl mm-hmm. that's why they, they can sue him and this is also why i was thinking about o'doyle rules it was because of billy, <laughs> billy madison and that's exactly why i was thinking o'doyle rules that was like the bully, all the bullies, like the whole bully's family, and then they, they go over the thing. That's exactly why I said it. What is that from? Uh, Billy Madison. Uh, Billy Madison, <laughs> right. Conan O'Doyle. All right. O'Doyle rules! <laughs> bullies suck. Okay, so bullies really suck. I really hate bullies. <laughs> if you're a bully, go fuck yourself. All right, that's my, oh, I, I, I used them all up yesterday, didn't I? You used them up for the month. Oh, man. All right, so let's get into this for a second. What are you thinking? Well, I'm just curious about it. Like, can you, if you, if you have something that's not copyrighted, they're not stealing the story, but you, can you copyright an emotion in a character? Like that seems absurd to me. It seems like a, but it's getting some level of like traction. Okay. It's not, it's not absurd. What, what seems to me to be outside the scope of IP, you know, uh, intellectual property is, is this, um, I was under the false hypothesis that I'm not gonna say assumption because it was an educated guess. Well, that that Enola was a character that was written by Sir Conan O'Doyle, and it was already there, which would give the Doyle estate after I don't know what the year was, 1923 or something like that, where they still own X amount of the books, mm-hmm. and if. They change the, even though they can't own the guy's body, if they changed the internal chemistry of the character that they still own, that could be a 
an absolute. Because intellectual property is like, uh, is like you know, taking a pubic hair, right? Mm-hmm. Slicing it down the middle with a razor blade, right? Then taking mm-hmm. the other half of the pubic hair and putting it on a frying pan and frying it until there's only a little piece and then sticking your finger in the frying pan, burning it and going, why the fuck did I get involved in litigation? <laughs> That's really, and then you got to burn for the rest of your life to remember. So what I think is happening here is, is the interesting part about the case to me is that they, they have grounds to stand on. I just don't know how they can say a character that wasn't created by Doyle could fall under the purview of IP. Right. If, he had created the character, then I could say, well, now you're messing with the character's internal feelings. Right. There's an IP issue there. I see that. I really do. I see yeah. it clearly. Well, I mean, and they're not even arguing about her. It's, it's purely the, the only basis for this is, and I'll, I'll kind of read it, uh, the complaint alleges that the public domain stories, Holmes is famously aloof and unemotional and then changed because of the life experiences. And so it's just the act of him being warm. Who? Enola? No. Sherlock. Oh, so just because, okay, so they're not talking about Enola's feelings. No. They're talking about Sherlock's feelings being warm to this fake character. Yeah. Yes, I think that is absolutely IP. All right, it's the same exact idea of saying, like, you know, on the stupid version of, you know, let's take Entourage. You know, so uh, when I put the rules in place when I was writing the pilot with Doug, which I didn't get credit for, but that was my own nonsense because I wasn't in the writer's guild. Yeah. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because we I set rules for every character, right? Mm-hmm. So, so... If you notice about Vince, he's a guy who he got away with being a horrible misogynist because he knew every one of the helps names. Like if he pulled up to a valet, he's like, hey, Johnny, how you doing? Everybody. If he ran into a girl that he had sex with, he would automatically know the dog's name, what drink Mm. she had, you know, like her first and last name and her sister's name. You know, so he really listened. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. drama was the guy who could be like, yo, bro, you ever think about choking yourself off with a belt? Well, right. jerking off, right, you know, right. like in the middle of nowhere, yeah. whereas E was the, you know, the, uh, uh, what's the word, the, the moral compass. Right. And Turtle was the guy who could go back and forth in between both of the worlds. Now, if you change, fund, if you went, if Entourage, you know, and someone gave a crap and put it in public domain and they went to remake it, but you fundamentally change those characters, there's absolutely an IP lawsuit. And you Got can it. show that in the Bible of the show. Good. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because that's that's what I'm wondering because I that's why I wanted to ask you about it because up front for me is like, what he says something nice about a daughter, all of a sudden the whole show goes to shit because there's ten, you know, like because this character's ninety percent in the public domain but ten percent out, you know, and that makes sense. That's that's what I needed to really understand because more than anything, it's like you know, I I think that the public domain is an interesting place to play anyway. Like there's it's. I, 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 once you know you want these iconic characters and these things that have existed for a long time like you know everything from the greek gods to you know whatever to be able to be something that people can use is because they've been part of our culture well at the same time you know these are st- still the creation of people and those people deserve to be represented in the that creation for i think for a long time so that's yeah well i think it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out because uh you know they they absolutely have a case in saying homes would not act that way And if Netflix is using something that acts out of the time, you know, that's past the public domain, I guess, where they still own pieces of the books. Yep. Yeah, he's warmer in those later books, I guess. I guess uh, Sherlock Holmes gets a little more uh, loving um, as uh, Arthur Conan Doyle aged. So that's what that's the whole grief that he felt. I think they said, right? Yeah, absolutely. So he started writing it in later, but he did not write it in earlier, which automatically now takes away from because that is a staple of Holmes. I mean, and this is the thing, too, with IP. That's why artists, writers, we spend so much time like with these little teeny things like bios and Bibles and like, you know, but they're but they're for a reason. They have birthdays. They have, you know, uh, you know, things that happen to them. They have all these different character traits that you are not going to change unless the creator says you can. So yeah, okay. Now I'm just talking in circles. No, no, that's great. No, this is th- this is the perspective I wanted, and that's why I wanted to bring this up because as a as a um, just a beardy uh, audio expert, I need to know how this stuff works. And like, I know I kind of want to know how to feel. Like, I didn't know how to feel with that uh, that uh, McDonald's lady who burned her lap with the the hot coffee thing until i really understood it from like a real person that explained why that 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 uh particular lawsuit was right and an okay lawsuit to have like 
I need, but you need to talk. They made it too hot. Well, no, because not only they made it too hot, they made it too hot several, several times. They'd been asked to stop doing this, Um, and she, right? So it's a punitive thing. She didn't ask for that much money. She asked for just enough to pay her bills, to pay her medical bills, because she got like third degree burns. Like she had to get skin grafted, and she just wanted. They did it too hot, and they'd been asked to not do it. So punitively, they awarded her all that money to tell McDonald's, "You need to fucking stop." Right, but that wasn't on her. She didn't ask for right. that. Right. The the court awarded it to her after the fact. You yeah, know, but you know, you don't learn those things. You just see, oh, people getting suing, you know, suing Netflix for giving uh, making making Sherlock Holmes smile, and I, I immediately react to that, going, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, listen. At the end of the day, and we've talked about this privately offline. Litigation is something that is for very bored rich people and yep. very bored wealthy people it's not about who's right or wrong really at the end of the day in these things it's it's about who has the most money to pay and keep paying to go to court until you're just overwhelmed with paperwork and it costs you less emotionally physically and monetarily to just settle or to walk away absolutely absolutely i mean it's it's a horrible horrible thing i would not suggest litigation unless it's absolutely a last scenario Uh, yeah absolutely well and speaking of things that um you know, utilize a lot of stuff from the, uh, the, um, like yeah. just from fair use and all that stuff. Right. From the, oh, what okay. is it called? Okay. What, what is it called public again? Domain? I'm sorry. Public domain. Public domain. Um, that we are, I am very excited to, te- to say that, uh, Bill and Ted's coming out tonight. It's tonight. Yeah. It's oh, tonight. Watch the trailer. Right, well, I'm just going to put the trailer on while we talk, yeah. but, uh, you know, I mean, this is tonight. I get to watch this tonight. Yeah, so it comes out at night. At least on the on the West Coast, it'll be out at nine o'clock, West Pacific time. On the East Coast, it'll be midnight. So it's it's actually technically coming out tomorrow, but right. it's coming out. It's it's out tonight. Oh man, I cannot wait. I really, I just want to laugh. Me too. <laughs> I just want to have a good time with Bill and Ted. Oh yeah, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Kevin Smith said he cried after watching it, and I mean, probably some of that's nostalgia, but it just seems like a really fun movie to watch. It seems like they got everybody but Carlin back, and uh, you know, it's amazing. I mean, listen, I I can't. I'm not a Kevin Smith guy, but I have to say, I think I'll probably tear up yeah. at some point. And it definitely who's playing the daughters? Do we know? I I, I guess I could find that out for us real quick. Let yeah, me find see. out because I feel like I've never seen them. But then it could be one of those things like, no, you saw her in that thing. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, let me let me let me look that up real quick. But they, I mean, it just looks like a fun movie. It looks like something where people are going to enjoy themselves. Um, you know, and like you said, I'm not always going to like just because Kevin Smith cried during something doesn't mean i will but <laughs> at the same time it does tell me like you know when you're a big old you know nostalgia freak and mm-hmm. you watch something good if you if it was bad he'd be like i am so angry that this ruined everything yeah. you know what i mean it's uh let's see oh then there's there's kiana looking buff yeah um, him in that muscle guy suit it's fantastic he's like an aryan brother <laughs> Oh, it's I mean, so it's good. so awful. It's so great. Okay, so, yeah, these girls kind of look familiar, but I've never seen Bridget Lundy Payne. She's best nipple. Um, you might have seen her in Atypical or The Glass Castle. And Samara oh. Weaving, who was in Out of the Blue. Oh, yeah. So Samara Weaving's the blonde. Yep. Right. Oh, yeah, Atypical. Yes, I remember her from Atypical. Yep. She was good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there he is. There's Death. There's Death. <laughs> Playing There's Death. Ball. All stolen from old 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 books right so that's this is all well, uh, public is, domain um, uh, Fellini isn't it isn't yeah. that from, yeah, Fellini film yeah They're, or, the uh, whole... what's his name not Fellini the, the, the Spanish I guy yeah I know the, uh, the Swedish guy really depressing Ingmar Bergman yeah. yep there you go all copyrightable works published in the US before 1925 are in the public domain boom you want to go make something you can go make a wonderful life right now change all the characters you know like just make it like a new version you don't have to pay anybody Nope. That's like, I mean, that's why, that's why Wizard of Oz has 20 different versions and some of them are on TV and some, you know, they have like Oz and then they have this other Oz. And as long as you don't use the things that MGM copyrighted, like the Ruby slippers and stuff like that, you can pretty much, you know, anything that was created by one of these other places, you can use these stories. But I mean, just to say this, you know, one thing to be very clear about, even though I, I, you know, in my limited expertise, I think there is definitely a case here. Uh, IP is one of the trickiest trickiest things mm-hmm. to delineate yeah i think ip and fair use i mean fair use is a mm-hmm. tricky one for us and all this stuff like even us doing 
videos up here just to show previews of stuff even though these are previews that everybody can go get and watch and there's no money changing hands we have to deal with and contend with copyright issues so the time a couple times we've yes. done this uh youtube has pulled the feed for a little while because they're like well you're using too much <laughs> yeah, so and, but by the way you know they have to put it you know in in perspective uh, wait i saw something get posted uh barca city at like two month anniversary or something yeah he's been watching home? every day for the last two months in India, I love. In this. India, what, is he talking about? what are we saying? Uh, PS Five giveaway is that? Oh, we have a PS Five giveaway for people who subscribe to our um, YouTube channel, and so we haven't we haven't picked it yet. We have a marketing company that's working with us on that, so there's no PS Fives yet. So as soon as we have a PS Five, you know those PS Fives come we'll out, and we actually know the dates. We're gonna pick a winner, um, but keep signing Guys, up. It's it, rigged. The winner's me. <laughs> winner's all of us, guys. Yeah. The winner oh, is good. our discontent. Um, you know what I got? You know what I got right now? Uh oh. Uh oh. I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the the title is so good that I just have to start. Runaway Daddy. Ellipsis. Now, what is this from? Where is this from? Tell oh, this is, sorry. Bella Thorne. The Life of a Wannabe Mogul. And it is very specifically a book. A book by Bella Thorne. We do this. We do these excerpts on a reg here from Bella. By the way, she just started an OnlyFans page. I could not join that fast enough. Is that the one that just made a million dollars? Well, yeah, she's doing, actually, it's, it's really interesting. She started a, uh, a, a this page, but she's going to do a movie with Sean Baker, you know, the Florida Project and Tangerine. Okay. Green, oh, wow. About OnlyFans. Oh, wow. That's how amazing. It changes women and how, I mean, it's actually genius, so I'm just like, you, I'm telling you, you should do, I'm giving money there just to support the film. Yeah. Well, it is it's, a very interesting thing. Story. It is definitely something that we can get into a conversation about. It's really changed and empowered women, even in, you know, the adult industries, you know, you know, and I don't like sex workers still feels like a weird word to label people who are j just being naked. I, I think that seems a little bit weird, well, but I guess different. it's yeah. Well, no, I think it's different, isn't it? I mean, I don't know for sure, but if you're if you're at home and you don't have any reason to do it and there's no person forcing you into it. Yeah. Then are you are you well like a sex worker right? That yeah. Is, well, that's the that's the term. I, no, but I I mean I think it's naked, just a by the way. it's just a catch all thing. But I think that this OnlyFans stuff and I don't mean that. I just think that I think the story of OnlyFans, not even Bella Thorne, just like it's actually helped change the dynamic where this is much more controlled by the 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 talent than it is by the you know. And I don't want you know like the pimp, which is the vivid video or whatever. It's the pimp. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And there it eliminates the pimp. Yep. Is what OnlyFans does. You know, OnlyFans becomes the pimp, is what yep. it is. But you they know, take I mean, a lot less. A lot less. Now, that, that doesn't make it right or wrong, but I think what Belle is doing, and she's an artist. Again, it's why I read from this. All right, so Runaway Daddy, verse, semicolon, just to be clear. Junked up with nothing to say. Fuck up. It's time to play. No colon. <laughs> it's worked up it's la it's your last day now pay with your life because it's time to stay there's a chorus then semicolon daddy daddy i wish you would come find me daddy daddy it doesn't hurt when it's you and me daddy daddy i'm not gonna read any more of this today because it just feels like someone else should read it right but Bella wow. Thorne, runaway wow. daddy. And this is what I'm saying. She is constantly doing this stuff. I, I, I don't even know who the real Bella Thorne is, which is right. actually the perfect artist move. Right. That, 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 that lends itself all to that mystery, right? That, right. It's very interesting. Yep. Exactly right. So, all right. We got two. <laughs> there was something else. What? Oh, I, don't, I mean, the only other thing I'm going to say about tonight, you know, there's obviously there's a lot going on um, in the world, you know, and we're sending a lot of love out to everybody and we're trying to have some laughs. But, uh, you know, also tonight is our, um, you know, nine o'clock on Apple Pacific time. We got our next uh, Ted Lasso. We get to meet the wife and the kid. Like, I've just been sitting by. Last night when I turned on the TV, I was like disappointed because it wasn't a new Ted Lasso. Right. I looked just to see, too. I checked. I, I checked. Too. I checked, too. I was like, maybe they just, maybe, maybe it's on for me. Right. Right. Maybe they, no, maybe they gave me a special, I got a, I got a notice yesterday that Tony Hawk was downloading on my computer on my thing. Uh -huh. And, uh, I immediately, my, my immediate assumption was, Oh, I got something special and no, no, nothing. <laughs> so meanwhile, that's twice now I've fallen for that where I'm like, Tony Hawk was at your place. 
Yeah, yeah. No, just the yeah, game. I know. I just and uh, but I, I thought I could download it, so I tell my wife like, "Get off the computer! Get off everything! We're, <laughs> I gotta get Tony Hawk right now!" And then I look in, and it's like it's still the demo, and I'm like, just listening to Raging at the Machine again. No, nothing. It's not fun. But let me tell you, um, Jason alerted me to the fact that the new golf game came out. Yes. And uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's 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 not the same company that made the last piece of crap game, no, right? Those were all EA games. This is a 2K. The guys that make NBA 2K one or 2K games. This game is superb. Amazing. It is everything I wanted the other game to be. You're not getting into the tour so easy. D- don't think you are by any means. It's hard, but it's 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 realistic. You know, it's like if you slice, you kind of feel you slice on the thing. I feel like the controller is much more. They use some BS excuse in the other game, like, oh, it's a certain to make it more like a... No, you're just lazy. Because <laughs> right. these people are doing it. This is great. Right. It's working on every level. The only thing I don't like is that they don't have game face. Oh, oh, you can't put your face in the game on this one? No. That's isn't weird. That too, isn't it 2K does that. game face? 2K. I don't know if they still do. They, they kind of stopped doing that when... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think there's apps, but I don't know if they, I don't know if they still do that. I used to have that all the time, except I always had a beard. So it always like make my face look flat and weird. But I like that. Uh, you know, I want to see myself as a pro golfer. Yeah, Cause absolutely. it's never going to happen. Yeah. I'd like to see Who myself. Well, meanwhile, you know what my golfer looks like? Who? I'll take a picture of it. I'll show it to you tomorrow. It looks like George Michael. <laughs> awesome. I guess that's how I see myself. <laughs> I can see that. You're like uh, if uh, George Michael and Machine Gun Kelly had a baby, kind of. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, by the way, if they did, I'd be, I'd be very proud to be that fine. baby. Oh, that's funny. Right, what were you going to say? I look. Oh, no, I, I was just thinking I, I look like, kind of like if Santa Claus and the Moon had a baby. Um, and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we are done for the day. So we will see you with a brand new episode tomorrow. Right, Jace? So that's right. Everybody stay safe, stay sane, stay strong, stay safe. Cliff Dorfman, love you, everybody. See you tomorrow. Quarantine. Quarantine.